There are certain moments and words that shaped a new era in pro wrestling. Austin 316 says I just whipped your a- Brett screwed Brett. Die, Rocky, die. Introducing the Book of Wrestling, 25 catchphrases that explain the Attitude Era. Tune in as we relive one of the most exciting, intense, and over-the-top times in WWE with new interviews with the voices that made the promos, calls, and catchphrases into history. Listen now. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Welcome to a special edition, a bite-sized edition, but a delicious bite, honestly, frankly, here on July 4th when we are taping this, uh, of the Ringer NBA show. My name is Jay Kyle Mann, and I am joined by one of the sharpest minds, the sharpest basketball minds, the pride of Edmonton. You're from Edmonton, I right? Am, yes. is, am I getting that right? You got yes. It. <laughs> what better way to ring in uh, American, uh, an American independence holiday than the smartest Canadian on earth, Sirit Sohi. <laughs> How you doing, Sirit? I'm doing good, man. How are you? Uh, I mean, I really tried to like throw out like just a like sparkling like fireworks display of praise there for you and mm-hmm. uh, you, the, the chillest person. You, you didn't. I mean, you, are, you, are you appreciating my enthusiasm? I am. It's it, it also it makes me very uncomfortable. So I'm just trying to move <laughs> off of it as soon as we possibly can. You know, it was a really nice introduction, though. And I think this is the first time that me and you uh, have been a podcast duo as well. Yeah, it's kind of like um, I was thinking. You know, you and I talked the other day. I, I was just thinking about like the the interactions that we've had on podcasts, and I was thinking about the brilliant burrito uh, <laughs> metaphor that you did the other day. I don't know that you've fleshed that out anymore, or thought anymore about that, but this is kind of like one of those like that CMT show where I don't know if you've ever seen this, where they just like pair artists together and have them play. You know, they just like have them play each other's songs type thing. Mm-hmm. You ever seen that? You know what I'm talking about? I haven't seen it. Actually, no, I have seen it. I saw it uh, at the Country Music Hall of Fame in Nashville. Uh, so not for real, for real. But um, yeah, I watched I watched Dolly Parton get her come up with uh, with one of those shows. Oh, with yeah. Some some guy that, you know, probably nobody else remembers. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, <laughs> but I guess saying- that's kind of what we're doing here. Right. Right. We are we are kind of we're we're trying new configurations of burrito essentially, you know, like what what kind of goes well together. I was eating one this morning and I was actually I did think about the the burrito reference. In a way <laughs> we're also kind of doing what a lot of these teams are doing as well. Like today we're going to talk about Kevin Durant and the hypothetical places where he could be a good fit. I think that's kind of where we're at. I'm pretty curious about how he'll look on on different teams and and uh the iteration of him that we'll get and we'll see what happens with us too like is it going to be a seamless fit or is it going to be more like westbrook and katie you know we don't really know is it like a jalen jason thing where we kind of just need a few reps and and it'll be great um or will it be a little bit more seamless than that i think it'll be pretty to be honest i do too i mean i get a lot of shots up i don't know what kind of player you were i kind of have to consciously shift gears 
and be like, yeah, I got to move the ball anymore. But we're talking to, you're right. You're spot on. Mm-hmm. We're, at this point, we're, yeah. we're talking well, about guess- pure hypotheticals. You know, mm-hmm. some, some of the disruptions are bigger than others and the guys that are moving teams. KD's a big one. Uh, luckily we didn't have any, well, I mean, it's fun to, I, I guess, I guess I'm sort of spoiling it there. It, it was nice to have a quiet holiday today. You know, but it's it's also fun to talk about trades. But we're going to speculate a little bit about where KD would go. Well, what would it look like? Let's talk about the Suns first as the first hypothetical. Um, it seems like the Suns are going to have to give a big bite of their roster up. You know, as much as I've heard lately, it's been the idea that it's like McHale and Aiton. Um, what do you think about? What do you think about the configuration of the Suns? Let's say hypothetically, those are the two guys. And it seems like in the way that they've sort of padded their positional depth, that maybe that's what they have in mind. I would assume that would be the minimum of what Brooklyn would want from, from Phoenix in a deal like that. A, do you think that, do you think that that's a good enough haul? I know we talked a little bit about this on the live show that we did with KOC. What do you think about that haul? as just a baseline. Is that better than getting like a primary star to get two like big time kind of supportive role players like that? I think it depends what you think uh, those guys will project out as because they were, they were both confined to pretty strict rules in Phoenix. So I'm not really sure that either of them is anywhere close to their ceiling. I think that's what probably excite me the most about trading for either of them. Uh, but that said, they're not, they're not the best possible player you can get back. And when we talked about it before, I think like the framework we basically had was like, you want an under 24 star and you want to get draft picks. Like, well, you want everything, right? Um, and I guess, you know, budding star is eight in the budding star. Would you, would you put him in that category or is he like a super role player? I mean, that's been the debate, right? Uh, coming out of college, I felt like my worries about Aiton. It, it's been sort of an up and down sort of uh, ride of broken dreams. I guess I always think of the Simpsons cartoon where it did, like goes up. We're going to break even. Uh, I like with Aiton when he was coming out. I had worries about him sort of in the pit of my stomach about like him excelling and like, what is that thing that helps these guys push and expand for him? It's like, he showed some of the raw tools of like, he has touch. I saw him maybe being a face up player at some point and like being able to hit in the mid range. But like, there have been questions about him, like creating for himself that I think kind of lingered. And I, and I do think that the, the system and the presence of Chris Paul, he rose with that tide well and function but i still feel like a lot of those questions like you're asking about like the difference between him elevating from you know like a primary or from like a really high quality role player to a primary player i'm still unsure of that and it seems like the rest of the league is unsure of that too yeah i feel like chris paul while he was incredibly good to him um just as you know feeding him with the the easiest possible buckets you could get uh, didn't really do him many favors in terms of his reputation, right? Uh, at least, at least on offense. Uh, on defense, he made incredible strides. Uh, probably took a bit of a step back last year, but I think we've seen enough from him to know that he can definitely be an elite rim protector for an elite defense. Uh, on the other end, I'm kind of I'm kind of with you. I have those questions. I'm a little bit optimistic though, just because of what we saw in college, what we saw in his first year, where he wasn't necessarily, you know. Well, he wasn't really playing on a very good team, right? So he's allowed to free, right. he was allowed to freestyle a little bit more. Um, and it was interesting, right? Like I, I would be curious to see what he looks like on a team that allows him to do that a little bit more. Like, can he turn into a reliable three-point shooting threat? Um, and then does that open up his face-up game? Because he's athletically, he's a monster. And his first step should, and his stride as well, should allow him to get around most most of the, the players who'd be defending him. So I'm pretty optimistic about him. Pretty optimistic about, about Mikhail too. Um, and you know, the, both of those guys played a really vital role for the Suns. and, you know, maybe we'll still, maybe, uh, maybe Mikhail will still play a vital role for the Suns. Uh, but they were basically their backbones in terms of scoring in the paint and, and playing defense. Right. So if we see Kevin Durant get traded for those two guys, my big question kind of just becomes, can KD make that up? Like the, the premise for what we've been, what we want to get into today is essentially like, what kind of super team do you want to build like, and, and have it be successful? Like what kind of characteristics are, are necessary for the players to have? And I think a Booker, Chris Paul, Kevin Durant trio would be really fascinating. And I think it would obviously just light teams on fire on, on offense 
uh, just incredible scoring numbers probably could end up being like one of the best jump shooting teams of all time would destroy you in clutch situations, hit every single free throw. Uh, but I have questions about how well balanced it would be. Yeah. It seems like a lot of the offense is going to emanate from those two guys. It kind of makes me wonder, I think you're right. I mean, I think it would end up being one, like in terms of just pure shot making, of course, anytime you have KD, your shot making is going to kind of go to another level. I wonder how much is KD going to be wanting to move because you're going to have a situation with CP where CP is still likes to pound the ball, likes to run a lot of pick and roll, likes to have the ball in his hands. Well, how does KD fit into that? And is there going to be, my question for you is going to be, do you think that, you know, KD's had injury trouble in the past, mm -hmm. you know, past two or three years. He's had a lot of miles on him. Do you think that he would have to evolve as a, as a passer in that situation? Or do you think that we would have to see him sort of tweak or just tilt his game in that direction to make it sort of flow? I always think of, I always think of like big threes as they need to have almost like that, like flux capacitor, like consistent, mm -hmm. like they need to have fluidity among them. Do you think that he would need to tilt his game in that direction for that to work or for that to be optimized? Yeah, I think that he's had enough reps of being a primary playmaker, especially with the amount of injuries that the Nets have dealt with. He's had to kind of take that load. Um, I feel good about him coming off of a, like, you know, passing off of a double team, you know, and I think that's kind of all I need from Kevin Durant. Like if he's in single coverage, I, I'm not going to be upset with him for thinking score, right? Uh, they, they get enough of that from Chris Paul. Booker's also improved a ton as a playmaker too. I would almost rank them in, in similar places as playmakers, right? Where um, they're just both high IQ basketball players who are primary, primarily supposed to be scorers, but they spent enough time in the league and seen enough coverages to know that, well, you know, that's the, essentially like, you know, the teams are going to be trying to get the ball out of their hands. Uh, to me, where it becomes a question is, can KD be like that physical rim protecting presence that he was sometimes, you know, for, for the early golden state warriors in those first two years that he, he was with them, he was one of the best defensive players in the NBA. I think he averaged 1.8 blocks in, uh, in the, in, in the second year he was in, in uh, golden state, that was seventh in the league. And he was kind of like a, a fringe defensive player of the year candidate. Um, and he wasn't necessarily an anchor, but he was a great isolation defender. Um, he was like LeBron in transition, just chasing down blocks and stuff. And LeBron's actually probably a good reference point for him here. Um, I think the reason that super teams have worked with LeBron in the past is that he can enter a situation and decide who he needs to be in, in his prime, right? Like they're we're, sort of usage malleability, right? Like he can, you know, yeah. he can, and he developed that in, around the time he went to Miami. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good term for it. I like that. Yeah, like I made that up just now. Nice, yeah. nice work. <laughs> um, I, I, I really, I think that if there's a version of Durant that still exists, and granted, it's been four or five years, and you know, a number of injuries since then, and and a lot of wear and tear, I don't think he can necessarily be that guy for an entire regular season. But if he can do that for, for them, I think that's kind of where I decide whether this team could then beat the Warriors, for example, right? Um, their championship odds are actually uh, tied with the Warriors right now at plus 600. That is, that is the sheer power of just the possibility of getting Kevin Durant is, uh, is strong enough to do that for you. Um, and there, there are situations where I think we've seen Katie turn it on like that. Like most recently is probably against the bucks um, game seven. We're going to talk about for pretty much the, the rest of history because of that foot on the line and, and, and how incredible he was. But the thing I always go back to is game five, uh, 17 rebounds and 10 assists to, to go with 49 points. Uh, he's capable of stretching his game out in similar ways to LeBron, but he's never been asked to do it for a full regular season. And he probably, he also, he doesn't have that total like ability to become whatever the way that LeBron does, but he has some of that. And he's yeah. just a really devastating defender when he wants to be. Yeah. I, I think LeBron's there. I mean, they're obviously different players. You and whenever you're like a, I, I personally think that Durant is probably the most lethal dynamic score of all time uh, in terms of just the fact that he's just an unanswerable like quandary on, on offense, because, um, because of what you were saying, but I think that, uh, if he, he, he doesn't get enough credit, I think for, for his playmaking, I think you're right. And, and I, 
I don't know that he would have as much kind of downhill like pressure on him. I don't think that he would need to do that as much because you'd have the the guards. He could sort of float in and out of that like spot up pick his ISO kind of matchups as they come run those sort of pin downs for him that he's always loved to shoot around the elbow. Those things are always going to be there. I've kind of wondered though, I think you brought up something interesting is like, he definitely had that like uh, really, really stretching out to try to get the ball that extra inch across the goal line type thing going on. Like physically, it seemed like it took a lot out of him. And I brought up a stat to you um, that I thought was interesting. And some of this kind of goes into personnel you know, it was brought up a few. I think Rob brought it up on Bill's show that the that the KD Kyrie thing only played something like it was some insane number. It was like forty four or something like that. Really low mm-hmm. number. Um, KD over the course of the past five seasons, four seasons, has gradually taken more and more uh, heavily contested shots. So it kind of makes you start to wonder um, how much of that is a function. And he's dribbling less before he shoots and moving less in in games on offense. It kind of makes you wonder if he is in the process of sort of a shift offensively of who he is. Maybe he moves into that Dirk kind of stage of his career. He's more mobile than Dirk ever was or will be. But uh, it makes me wonder if that's the kind of the role that he's going to be, maybe passing out of doubles. But you brought up the defensive thing, too. Um is Phoenix going to be able to defensively sustain the that that hit, you know, because as, as much as like McHale and Aiton have those questions as primary offensive players, their connective tissue on defense was really valuable. Do you think that the Suns are the Suns going to be ahead or, or behind of where they were defensively a year ago if they trade for KD? Um Bismack Biombo is your starting center for an entire season, anchoring your defense at his age. Makes me nervous if you're trying to win a championship, especially like, you know, JaVale McGee is, is going to Dallas now too. So they're, uh, they're thin and uh, they decided to never really develop Jalen Smith. And that might c- come back and bite them. At- Punted him. <laughs> yeah. Punted him in the, into the sun. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I guess make, make like, here's the thing. If, if the Suns do trade every single draft pick that they have for Kevin Durant, it won't matter because they don't really care about the draft anyways. Um, so, did say that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, I have, I have questions about it. Right. I think that's, that's why the version of Katie that we're going to get is like what everything hinges on for me. Right. Like, are you going to get the guy that we saw versus Milwaukee or is it going to look a little bit more like Boston? Like this, his performance in, in against the Celtics is the biggest question. It's art. It's really hard to suss out because it was the last time that we saw him and we had never seen him or really anybody uh, face a defense as strong as the Celtics. And I'm just kind of curious whether that's going to be just what we should expect from him going forward. Um, I was looking some stuff up today and uh, Durant averaged three points per game in the paint against the Celtics. Granted, it was only four games, but it's just Kevin Durant. Um, And he's like, I think he's around eight or nine in in the regular season. That's been pretty consistent for him. So that, that was a pretty significant, significant drop off. And there's, I don't know, there's a bunch of other stats. Like you want to look at shot distance and stuff as well. Like that was, he didn't have a great year for that either. I think again, like what you said about personnel definitely accounts for some of that. Um, But I don't know. I'm curious. That's kind of the big question, right? Like if he can be that, then I think, then I think the Suns are probably balanced out enough. I think their offense will be good enough, right? But it's just, it's just a matter of, asking a player who's 34 to kind of shift into more of a defensive anchor role be interesting for me, but it's also, I don't know, maybe it's exactly kind of like even on a legacy level, what you need from Kevin Durant to, or what Kevin Durant needs. Uh, don't want to get like too bogged down in that topic, but we talked about it last, uh, last week on, on, on actually no Saturday on the, on the answer. You know, we like when things look hard for players, right? Um, what we're describing here would be hard. And I think that's yeah. probably a good thing. Yeah. And it, and you touched on just the fact that uh, the Celtics, we talked about his, I mean, his pathway in the East was going to be more physically demanding. I think, you know, it's not like it's a cakewalk in the West because the champ just came from the West, but stylistically that the team seemed to be a little bit bigger, 
They seem to be a little bit more physical uh, or in the East. Um, but then on the flip side, I guess I'll talk out of both sides of my mouth here. Memphis was a super physical team. Uh, there is no easy path. You know, none of it's going to be easy. But I, I think also you talked about um, defensively him being an anchor. I do think defensively he was a little bit underrated in that Bucks series too. Positionally, he was he was pretty solid. Um, I just wonder, my kind of worry with the Sun or with the Suns would be, are they still going to have a Luka issue? Like, because they're going to have to come up against those types of teams and be productive because the Clippers, you got to assume, are going to be back. And they have two guys like that. We're talking about, like, big guys who can score and pass over the top. Is Crowder going to be enough if you lose Mikhail? Is Crowder going to be the guy that could guard those guys? Or can can KD chip in on that front, do you think? I think uh, Cam Johnson could maybe step up and be the answer there. And the other thing I think is that, you know, when you – redistribute your scoring um it just allows your stars to do other things as well like booker took 21 shots per game last year if kd shows up then that's obviously not gonna be the case he also like to his credit made incredible strides defensively while doing all of that so i can only imagine how much stronger he'd be on defense if you know, he didn't also have to take up such a, such a scoring burden as well. So I think, I think Booker could actually be your guy there. And I think, you know, maybe same goes for Durant, you know, just a larger discussion here, right? Like he doesn't need to bear the entire offensive load too. So when we talk about his, him aging and everything that could, that could help him out. That could, if he, if he wants to like, you know, not want to say recommit defensively, or if he wants to, you know, put more energy out on the defensive end, he doesn't have to worry about the offense as much. Yeah. Uh, hypothetically here, we talked about potentially the heat. I don't that know. Said, that that's said, by gonna... the way, what you said, um, I think we could, I'm just going to be a problem no matter what. <laughs> He's a problem for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Put any team in the universe out there. Um, the Raptors quickly here, you have a really good feel for the Raptors. Um, what do you think about that potential deal? What, what, what do you think about what would they have to give up? What could they look like quickly here before we move on? Cause we spent a lot of time on KD, but uh, quickly on the Raptors, what's your feel for that? What would they look like? What would they have to give up? So they're kind of the opposite configuration. Um, now they're, they're, they're second in, in odds to, uh, to get KD in a trade. And uh, that deal would probably include one of Pascal and Scotty Barnes. Um, I've heard very different things about whether Barnes would uh would be available in a deal. I don't think would you give would... him up? Um no I wouldn't. I don't think I would either. I wouldn't I no. I would. No not for not for 34 year old KD. And like we've heard I think now that he's uh, KD is open to the idea of playing in Toronto. So you do take away some of the risk there. But just for you know for how injury prone he is and I was also I was listening to Locked on Raptors this morning and uh, they made an interesting point where you know, they're talking about how stacked the East is. If you're the Raptors, you've got this young stud. Why, you know, try to cobble together something to compete right now when the East is as good as it's ever been, when you could just wait, wait it out and see how these guys develop. And you might have a much more open runway in four or five years too. So for a number of reasons, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give up Scotty. I won't get into, get into it too much uh, since we talked about it on Saturday, uh, but the Raptors in general, I think, are kind of the opposite of what the Suns would be, right? Like the Suns would be a bona fide super team, right? And then with with KD going to the Raptors, it would be a model that's actually been more successful in recent years. Um, they would look a lot like the Kawhi Raptors, I think, where Kawhi would, I mean, KD would obviously step into the Kawhi role and be the number one option. And then you get everybody else kind of in more, comfortable positions for themselves right like pascal siakam i think is i think he's like your ideal pippin you know i think he moves so well in space uh once yeah. you've got somebody that can play off of like he can play off of like he can just attack angles like he's great in gaps like he's just one of the best guys in the paint um he can score in a number of different ways there he's a defensive dynamo he can guard pretty much anybody on the court uh, he gets it going in transition. He rebounds. He does the dirty stuff for you. And he's a pretty decent playmaker as well. Like he's, he's a great all around guy whose number one weakness is that he doesn't have like this, this Kevin Durant esque touch that, you know, and I think that's the Raptors biggest weakness too. Right. Like they were a great defensive team that were also just really ugly to watch in certain quarters because, you know, there'd be like a four minute 
run of like just absolutely no scoring. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think, you know, you move Siakam into that role and then, you know, Fred Van Vliet, I think he took, he took 17 shots per game uh, last year and shot 40%. I'm sure he would love to shoot a little less. Um, yeah. And I think, I think that goes for a lot of the guys on the Raptors. I imagine that, you know, Gary Trent would probably be part of any deal and we can easily replace his going with Kevin Durant's. Right. So mm-hmm. it's a, it's a little bit more of an intuitive fit, I think. Um, and it goes, it, it, it you know, I, th- I think it looks a lot like the teams that have been successful lately, where there's like clear role definition of who the number one, number two is. And then you're not so top heavy either. So you have a ton of depth and like they've, they've, they can also with KD continue this experiment of just getting every skinny guy with an incredible wingspan on the same team and seeing what happens as well. And I just personally, as, as somebody who likes weird stuff would be a big fan <laughs> of that. We're going to get some more some weird stuff in a second. I, I think too, what you're hitting on is what every great team needs. And KD is almost like the ultimate, like offensive, flex seal in a different way than lebron whereas like lebron can like elevate all the pieces on your team and like hit the value of players with him is different than their value in other situations because he can make their lives easier kd is the type good passer like we talked about but also Kawhi served this function for the raptors where if you have an offense that can kind of function say you like to run uh, whatever your offensive philosophy is and during the regular season that works Usually those types of things hit a wall in the playoffs and a player like KD becomes like a, a stylistic release valve in those situations, say a late clock situation where it's, you didn't get a good shot. Okay. KD's like the ultimate tough shot hitter. Or if you need a shot at the end of a quarter, just give it to him, say, go create it. I mean, that's the kind of thing that elevates you from a good team to a great team. Uh, and, and that's something that KD does. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. I'm talking about elevating from good to great, potentially. Did you like that? That worked out really well there. Uh, the president, you wrote in our notes here, the president traded for the president. The the Boston Celtics, fresh off their runner-up status in the NBA, needed to go out and get better, obviously. They needed to go. They had some pretty glaring problems in terms of like taking care of the ball, offensive, sort of keeping keeping the plants watered, things like that. They go out in a deal and pick up Malcolm Brogdon. You're high on this pick. Why? Why? I assume you're high on this trade for them. Most people are. That's the consensus. What do you think Brogdon does for them? Um, and what does it look like in a series? How How would their series of, against the Warriors have looked different if they had had the president in their lineup? Well, I don't think they'd be breaking all kinds of turnover records for the finals by any means, right? Uh, I think Brogdon's had like multiple seasons averaging less than two turnovers while being like just a really steady semi-playmaking, but more of a setup man role um, while also just being a really great shooter as well. Uh, The the gift with the Celtics, I think we were thinking about how they could build off of their finals run was just how everything worked so seamlessly because they had three and D guys who were just really smart, knew how to play their roles. So anybody that you'd want to bring into that situation, you don't really necessarily want to bring in like a, a really high defense, like say Patrick Beverly, right? Like you don't really want to bring mm-hmm. Pat Bev into that situation. Cause then, you know, the defense kind of knows who they want to just leave open. Right. And I think that that's what made the Celtics awesome. Right. Is like Marcus smart was your best option for that. And that's, it's not a great option. So adding Malcolm Brogdon into, into that rotation, I think on offense, it's pretty seamless. And I think it just stabilizes them. Like that's essentially what they needed. They're a really talented team and they had just one really key weakness in, in the turnover department. So I love it. They didn't really have to give up too much. Um, I'm surprised that they didn't have to give up too much. It was nice. Uh, the Smith uh, salaries and a 2023 first round pick, which uh, is, you know, probably not going to be not going to be a lottery pick. <laughs> you heard it here right. first. 
Yeah, you're getting somebody with, uh, you were talking about Steady, you know, Brogdon, I, I was noticing this. It seems like he's a guy that's like been around for a while in the league. This is going to be his seventh season, I believe. He came into the league at 24 years old, though. He came in like a pretty mature player to begin with and was better, I think, than people expected. Honestly, he was a great college player, but he's just kind of translated and been steady throughout. The main thing that I think he's going to give them is if you put him in a position where he doesn't have to carry a heavy load, he's going to, uh, he's like a versatile shooter. You know, he had a little bit of a dip in efficiency this past year. Maybe that would have been the result of being loaded up on a little bit. I uh, only played like 36 games, I believe with the Pacers, but he shot 43.7% on spot up threes, which is going to be valuable for the Celtics in the playoffs and 42.6% in transition uh, for a team that is de defensively as disruptive as the Celtics that uh, is going to be key I think you said something interesting though about like the way you build your rosters um, you know you can go in it's a it's a plus minus game you know we measure it in plus minus but it is a give and take thing and it's like the Celtics have been leaning more on take like they want to take away and they've needed to balance the the give part of it where like they need guys that can they've got guys that could guard and i think you're absolutely right like adding another pat bev to this situation isn't going to help isn't going to solve your problems and i guess the question is like um it's it's really a, a chance to sit back and reflect on how lucky they got i think that honestly there just aren't many guys out there that are going to be able to be consistent dependable shooters like that take care of the ball but also, I mean, he's a guy that can do some point of attack stuff for you. He's positionally, it just seems like he's not going to break down. You know, he's, he's a piece that's not going to hurt them and he's going to add a lot. And that's hard to come by for what they paid. Yeah. No, you say breakdown. The only issue is the injuries, right? That's maybe that's, that's, that's maybe why the trade value is so low because if he's healthy, then he's kind of a super role player. Oh yeah. Yeah. Speaking <laughs> of super role players, how many draft picks would you give up for one? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this you're talking about. We, we teased it and, and coming back like the weird stuff. This was one I was interested to kind of go into the basketball laboratory and talk with you about this. Um, you know, it's a league that I, I almost wonder if this is like a zag move. And we've seen some. Um, is this your like wizarding cape, like hood that you put up here? Is that is that what that move was? Yeah, yeah, for, a, yeah. for 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 everyone. It's listening, an audio format. Put, yeah. yeah, it is. I just uh, I just put my hoodie on. And I think, yeah, I think that's exactly what's necessarily. I really just want to lock in to this discussion yeah. on. She's a cauldron on, also that is bubbling. I can kind of see it off camera a little bit. It's hot. Just be careful with that. Um, this was a weird move. And I'm wondering, I wanted to ask you, do you think that, uh, let's, let's not, to, for people who don't know, the people who do, I'm sure know what we're talking about. The Jazz traded Rudy Gobert to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, the Wolves gave up just off the top of my head, Beasley, Pat Bev, Jared Vanderbilt, my my beloved Jared Vanderbilt, and just a boatload of <laughs> a boatload of picks. Uh, and Gobert and Carl Towns together. Is this a, like a stylistic zag, do you think, in a league that has become super spread out? Why why do you think that the Wolves did this just off the top? Why do you think that they did this? Well, I think. We know why why they did it. They just don't think that Carl Anthony Towns can be the rim protecting force for a championship level team, or even to, for them to get to the next level that they need to get to. Uh, I think they just think that he needs help on that end. And and Tim Connolly came over from the Nuggets and has experience building with a with a guy like Carl Towns and Jokic. Probably the most there's nobody in the league like Jokic. Don't get me wrong, but if there's anybody who comes close it's probably Carl Towns in terms of just scintillating scoring ability, playmaking size, but also, you know, having this one weakness that can kind of consistently be exploited in the playoffs of, you know, just being defensively deficient to both of those guys credit, by the way, um, especially Towns. I think Jokic got his flowers for his improved defense uh, Towns rim protection in a really solid chunk of that Grizzly series was not bad. Like, mm -hmm. I, I think we've kind of, you know, the claims of his, defensive him being a defensive liability are pretty exaggerated in my opinion um which is at, at bottom kind of why i didn't love this trade but at the same time um anytime just like the nuggets right like putting out these like extremely big lineups of you know i think i think the most famous one was in the bubble where they put bull bull 
um, Mason Plumley at center and Jokic technically at <laughs> the guard position uh, on the floor with uh, Paul Millsap and Jeremy Grant, probably the biggest lineup that we've ever seen play basketball. Anytime anything like that happens, I don't want to completely throw it out the window. And I think you think that there's a pretty strong case for this team. So I want to hear it. And, you know, I actually, I would like by the end of this conversation to have my mind changed. That would be the most oh fun. Oh my possible. God. That's a lot of pressure. I don't know if it could change your mind. Uh, I, I, I want to, I'm pretty stubborn. I want to be, I want to live in a world where this could work. Um, and it's also, I, I think we all can kind of assume that we know and, and, and uh, the receipts are there. We need to come back and maybe eat our crow a little bit here. Um, I'm not, I'm not writing it off. I, and I think the idea here is the, the thing that makes lineups like that work is like creation and spacing. Well, you have one of those things for sure. Carl, I think has improved as a passer. Um, he's obviously probably the best pure shooting actual center ever if you want to count Dirk and that whatever um but Carl is the thing that's going to make that happen if you can put him in positions I guess like literally how they're going to play on the floor is more of a question you know the idea of like using Gobert's like rim pressure rolling and Carl's uphill gravity as a shooter you could see how they get into positions where that could work um the question I think is elsewhere is the playmaking going to be there to support them in that, you know, is, is Anthony Edwards going to take a leap or take a big step forward in his scoring ability slash creation that I'm a little less sure about. Um, offensively, what do you think about them? I mean, do you think, do you think that there's a world where this is going to work or are they going to need to stagger it where they run some Carl and go bear together or some ant and go bear that or, or D'Lo is another factor here. Do you think they have enough creation to sort of prop this up to make it work? I think you probably have the most creation that you've had in Gobert's career, right? Like you've got two really strong ball handlers and, and scorers and D'Lo and Nat, and you've got Carl Anthony Towns, who I don't need to tell you to tell you guys about. Um, I just, I just think it takes the wind out of their sails on offense a little too much, though. I don't love, I don't love having, you know, developing Anthony Edwards. Now his pick and roll partner becomes Rudy Gobert, who is on like, honestly is, yeah, he can talk, he's tall and he can roll to the rim, but just doesn't really give you that much that you can do um, for versatility wise. Like it becomes, you know, with Mitchell, it became a very like Euro set floater heavy sort of game because you know what you're doing in that situation. You're yeah. just, you know, you're just going to drop back onto, you know, on, on, onto, onto that. And you know, like it's just an easy decision. That's, that's kind of my, that's my qualm with Gobert, right? I think when you get deeper into the playoffs, his presence allows you to make easy decisions. Uh, if you've got Carl Anthony Towns working in the high post and, or even, you know, coming up from a three-point line and you've got Gobert on the floor, you kind of, you know, where you're sending your help defense, right? And yeah, Cat, you know, Cat's, Cat's really tall and he's a great playmaker. And I think maybe there's some like potential for like a, you know, the, the Mobley Allen, uh, lob connection that we saw in Cleveland. Like, I think there's potential for some really fun stuff. And I think this team's going to win like 90 regular season games. And maybe that's fine. If you're Minnesota, that's another element of this, you know, like, do we really need to talk about every single team? Like they're going to win a championship, right? Like, like I'm sure Wolves fans would be happy to, to make it out of the first round at this point. Right. right. Um, so yeah, I just, I just don't love, I don't love it on offense. Um, and I really don't love it. I just, I, I think that that offense could just be so awesome. And this just, I don't know. It just, it just makes them a little less dynamic. I, well, the, the counter is that they're just going to, we talked about a given a take situation. Um, they could just bludgeon people. Uh, you know, we, and like defensively, it could be really interesting. Like Gobert's never going to have, will have never played with as much athleticism yeah. as he's going to play with, Can, you know, potentially we talked a little bit about Ant. He's been, he was came in the league as a little more of a help defender. And then he started being a guy that was playing a little more active off the ball, going around ball screens, but he's shown that he can guard some point guards. If we're talking about a hypoth, it could be mm -hmm. ugly. I mean, if we, if we see more primary Anthony Edwards, him sort of feeling the stresses of growing as a playmaker. And then on the other end, him being asked to like lock in and like guard point guards, which he has done. I, I pointed out that uh, like 20% of the time this past season, he did that. Um, 
you could potentially put lineups out there. Kyle Anderson is another guy who gives you like point guard sensibility at his spot and at his size, but it's a lot of wingspan. Mm -hmm. You know, Kyle Anderson, seven foot three wingspan. Jaden McDaniels is huge. Um, you know, one of the one of the big things about their series against the Grizzlies is that John Morant just like turnstile drove on them mm -hmm. repeatedly. Um, it seems like this was sort of a a response to that. Um, I don't know. A, a series between them, it's those two teams seems like it's going to be a bloodbath. But the Grizzlies play two big guys like that together. I mean, I would say Clark is more of a true four. Um, what do you think the difference between like Jaron Jackson Jr. and Brandon Clark is? Is it just the speed of the rolling from Clark and like the defensive flying around? What do you what do you what's the difference? Why wouldn't this work as opposed to other big guy combos? Well, I mean, Steven Adams got played off the floor in that series. Mm -hmm. And it was because of the Anthony Edwards pick and roll attack, and because there's just it just didn't provide a lot of options. Like I was thinking about that series and how different it would look. And and I think, you know, if you just throw if you throw Gobert and all of his wind shares into it, right? Yeah, like the, the Wolves probably win that series, right? Um, but at the same time, I think let's say just the numbers. If you just throw the numbers in there, they yeah, yeah. Let, let's <laughs> say you do ball. right, exactly, exactly. Like let's say you have Gobert in there. Now, obviously, with Towns on the floor, you're not going to prioritize the Gobert Edwards pick and roll, right? But that is essentially what killed Adams in that series. It was. Edwards pull-up game and then it just kind of goes back to the decision-making stuff for me once you have Gobert in that situation okay I'm just trapping Edwards every time if he's if he's if he's gonna hit like the ridiculous amount of pull-up threes that he hit in game one which by the way he didn't never hit that many again in the rest of the series no. um but yeah if he's gonna do that then I kind of just know what the next call I'm making is, and then maybe it's like a different series where Adams is playable and it like just looks, you know, all these things then just start looking different. Cause then there's just a butterfly effect of it. Um, but that's what we're doing here today. We're just, we're talking about hypotheticals. So here, here's no closer to this idea than when we started. Uh, um, I, yeah, not really. Um, but you, so you think this is closer to Embiid Horford than like the, another thing we didn't talk about is on the, offense. You think, yeah, you think it'll be worse? Yeah, it's like well, Horford, Horford provides a, pretty, a little bit more spacing. And he, yeah, go, go ahead. I'll say Horford had a pretty abysmal year with the Sixers that year. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two for $5 chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two for five dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20 for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Another thing that we didn't talk about is that uh, Chris Finch has, you know, you get the Conley part of this, but Chris Finch has a lot of experience working with like big guys and getting them to work together uh he was you know on that staff i'm pretty sure i didn't check on this but the the he was on that ad demarcus cousins staff mm -hmm. that he found ways for them to coexist yeah so was there anything that you think that they can take away from i know i know that you know i think ad and dmc didn't get a ton of time together but when they did they're yeah, pretty it got, good it got cut short i mean it's 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 tough to compare. I, I just think that the ball skills from Demarcus, like attacking off the dribble, I, I think he was probably more creative than either one of these guys. And I just think that the offensive plummet between Gobert and either one of these guys, it's it's hard to find a comparison for. Honestly, I I just think um, it's a tough situation when you are sort of uh, kicking your your future with all those picks. Let's say they get into a situation where you were talking about like an Adam situation where he gets Gobert does get played off the floor. That's a thing. I think that that's a little overblown, honestly, because Dallas is like 
you and I were talking about this. Dallas's, or not Dallas, Utah's uh, guards that they would play with him. They all kind of range from like six two to six four. I don't know, mm-hmm. and they and they were pretty bad defensively. I thought Gobert was pretty pretty good switching out on the perimeter until like he held up fine mm-hmm. against you know in the playoffs. Yeah, but. to me the issue is not defense; it's it's offense. But I mean, just for the sake of you making your case, uh, I guess I'm giving you the hardest possible one to make here. But just out of you know sheer curiosity, and I, I also love when you have like these really big lineups play these really small lineups. But just off the top, like let's say you. Start and starters versus starters. Well, not starters versus starters, but the the wolf starters against the uh, the pool party lineup for the Warriors. How would you approach that from the Wolves' perspective? Oh my gosh! Like if they're, I mean, it would come kind of down to like a pace discussion, wouldn't it? I mean, as much as you can, you'd want to like lo- you want to play as few possessions as you can mm-hmm. against that team. Um, force the Warriors to play big. I'm trying to think of another team that successfully did that, though. I mean, the the Celtics are pretty big and physical. Of course, the Warriors don't get enough credit for how physical they can play, too. They're they're pretty flexible on that front. You talked about, like, high-low game with those two. I mean, that seems like a pretty simple, broad way to put it. I mean, is any kind of high-low a consistent, viable thing for them? Uh, playing out of the post? It seems like you just, you're just you going to run into spacing issues. Of course, now I'm making an argument for you. Uh, it seems like you're going to run into spacing issues if you try to play out of the block with, like, Carl down there because Gobert is only going to slide as far as, like, short corner. Um, I don't know. What do you think? How would you answer your own question there? Uh, yeah, I think this is where the size part of it becomes really interesting. Um, you know, do you just kind of – go in the direction of, you know, we talked about the Raptors and just try to be longer than everybody else and turn what is already a jump shooting team into even more of a jump shooting team. I think there's a way that this, you know, a a cat go bear front court can work by kind of goading opponents into, into bad shots and then just running from there. Uh, but I mean, I pose that question because I don't really necessarily believe it can work. So, um, but no, really, really the reason I pose that question is because I think the general question of how you build around a player like cat, who has got this deficiency on defense at like the the position that you don't want the deficiency on defense is like, you can kind of go in two different directions. Like you can go with the big rim protecting guy, like Rudy Gobert. Uh, but I also wonder if, you know, like how gettable was Kevon Looney? Obviously the Warriors would want to bring him back under any circumstance. Right. But like when we're getting into the realm of throwing out our entire draft equity for a decade, I start to wonder like, you know, how maybe he was a little bit gettable or even, I mean, this is comes with like a whole other, you know, bag of worms, but even a guy like Ben Simmons, right. Like, I, I wonder if that's not like the better direction to go into when you have uh, a player like cat. Yeah, because Cat can a little bit more consistently space. You know, I feel like Embiid spacing is nice to think about, but like Cat's is very consistent right. and needs to be respected. Like as much as Joel can hit those types of shots, I'm like, I'm a little bit like, thank God he didn't get to the rim or draw a foul or hurt me with his passing in that situation. It's going to be clunky. It's going to be weird. Mm-hmm. Like we said, we both enjoy the weird stuff. I'm going to be watching it maybe through bleeding eyeballs. I don't know, uh, but I'm going to be fascinated really quickly before we go here. Um, did you have a favorite, like low key favorite edition from free agency lightning round here? Yeah. I'm a really big fan of, of Bruce Brown to the nuggets. Uh, he's like, he's a really interesting player. He's like a six, four guard turned power forward. And my like curiosity going into this off season for him was, you know, obviously he managed to carve out this role in space with the nets because just of, you know, how many, how much gravity those starters and shooters created where he was able to turn into like this, 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 uh, rolling big man who, you know, would just kind of thrive on the short roll and make plays. I was just kind of curious if there were going to be any other teams that would be interested in that, or if like that configuration would work somewhere else. And, I didn't think about the nuggets. And as soon as it happened, I was like, Oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. Like you've got the best passing big man of all time. Bruce Brown is a great cutter. He's a great defender. He can play the four. He can play the five. Um, like, I, th- I think that's a, it's, you know, it's, it's good in insurance for, you know, for, for Jokic's defense. And he's also an interesting playmaker as well. Uh, I think he's, you know, just like add him to the, uh, the players in that, <laughs> you know, that, 
in a, on that team that basically just run around the constellation of Jokic and and thrive, <laughs> right? So yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm excited about that one. That one, and they they got him on the cheap too, two years, thirteen million dollars. Uh, pretty good for for a role player who you know his, his three point shot definitely improved over you know the the second half of the season, and he's a great defender and he's a good playmaker and he's smart and he's young. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point about he sort of developed. He's sort of an inverted offense tool like you know he brings to he brings skills to a different body type that you don't typically get and with like Jokic gets a lot of mileage out of those types of guys and you would think that it would get amplified to the nth degree the skills that he developed playing around those stars like you were talking about because he's going to be playing with a guy who's maybe the best over the top passer ever I mean I, I think that's very possible um I wanted to say my my addition that I liked a lot it was it was a little less low-key uh, but uh, Kevin uh, Kevin Herter, the butcher's boy, got added to the Sacramento Kings. They traded for him in that deal. Um, I just think that they're, uh, I said in our Slack, our NBA Slack, that I think Herter has a lot more to give. Um, I think he's going to give you secondary playmaking because he'll hopefully, ideally, touch the ball a little bit more, um, give them some shooting. Uh, Sacramento is going to be another weird team. I think they're going to score. I'm not sure they're going to be able to stop anyone at any point but uh, if they play the, their their most talented offensive lineups but i thought that was an interesting addition for them that's gonna be fun this year i think they could be i mean you know famous last words right but love sabonis a lot of playmaking on that team i think they're good for like 45 wins shot at the play in yeah. yeah they'll 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 beat a good team on any given night and also you got keegan murray lighted up in the summer league and you know, it's fun to overreact to things. Maybe they drafted a superstar. I don't know, uh, but it's going to be. Uh, they should definitely get less crap for 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 uh, you know passing on Ivy. I think at least as of right now, we'll see how oh, that one plays so? out. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, Mur Murray's awesome. I think they're two completely different players. I, I hate the they're, idea of even comparing them. Yeah, they're hard to compare. I mean, it, I think it's just more long term value. Yeah, it's a conversation we can have later and i'm sure that we will uh but anyway yeah. uh yeah let's is he nothing, is is there upside high yes we'll see we'll see we'll we'll talk mm -hmm. about that on a future episode of upside high stay tuned for that uh stay tuned for Sirit uh and chris ryan on the answer you guys are still running on fridays yes, i believe sir. is that right mm -hmm. yes yes uh nothing really big happened today but you know free agency we're gonna sit tight and uh, we're gonna have a lot of whatever happens we're gonna have a lot about it on the site Sirit, it was good to see you good to talk to you today i enjoyed this odd uh I enjoyed this crossover event of the century that we had here. I agree. I agree. Are we like, are we the new peanut butter and jelly? I think we might be. I think so. I, I, as long as we're not like goobers, you know, like that jar where they have it like pre-mixed. That's like the version. Of I've peanut never butter seen jelly. that before. You never heard of that? Uh, Did they not have that up your up your way? Maybe it's not. Like, you should you should Google that Go goobers. It's okay. like Smuckers makes it. It's disgusting. <laughs> anyway, uh, it was good. <laughs> it was good to see you. Uh, and uh, we uh, we will catch you on the flippity flop. See you later, guys. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios Kingdom and the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom and the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.